Chat with Traders is sponsored by Trade the Pool. Are concerns about limited buying power, insufficient capital, or fear of losing your own money preventing you from advancing your trading capabilities? Trade the Pool is an online stock trading prop firm that offers funding for stock traders. Demonstrate your skills, trade their capital, and keep your profits. You can engage in intraday trading and now swing trading on Trade the Pool with any U.S. stock or ETF. The procedure is straightforward. Pay an evaluation fee, successfully complete the evaluation, and get funded. Visit tradethepool.com forward slash chat to learn more. You've seen the headlines. Bonds are making a comeback. But if you've ever tried to invest in bonds, you know what a clunky, complicated, broken experience it can be. That's why at Public, they took fixed income and fixed it. Now you can find, evaluate, and buy thousands of bonds with an investing experience designed this century. Add fixed income to your portfolio with corporate, treasury, and municipal bonds. Go to public.com forward slash bonds podcast to get started. This podcast is sponsored by Public. Full disclosures can be found at public.com forward slash bonds. Markets, speculation, and risk. This is the Chat with Traders podcast, hosted by Aaron Fifield. Hey there, what's up, guys? Aaron Fifield speaking, and you're currently listening to episode 114 of Chat with Traders podcast. I'm actually really excited to be sharing this episode with you. I feel as though it's going to be particularly helpful for many because there are plenty of actionable takeaways throughout. Thanks to my guest, Brannigan Barrett. Brannigan is a futures day trader who trades a total of eight markets across bonds, equity indices, currencies, and commodities. He was previously a trader at prop firm Futex, but is now part of Axia Futures. The subjects we cover during this conversation include how to progressively become a bigger and better trader, how a dogfight attitude has helped Brannigan's trading career, how he prepares going into major news announcements, his daily process for journaling and being ready for the one good trade, plus how to think about and achieve your trading goals. Now, just before we continue, there's one thing I'd like to mention, and that is the Chat with Traders survey. So if you haven't participated in this previously, I'd like to ask you to please spare just two minutes, because as you know, this is a free podcast made possible with the support of sponsors. By filling out a very short, completely anonymous survey, sponsors get a pretty good idea of who's actually listening to this podcast. Plus, once you've completed the survey, you'll be in with a chance to win a $100 Amazon gift card. So if you're keen to help out, please visit podsurvey.com slash traders to take the survey. That's pod, P-O-D, survey.com slash traders. Thanks so much. And now folks, please welcome my guest from the United Kingdom, Brannigan Barrett. My coffee will be last me 20 minutes probably, so we'll be all right. <laughs> <laughs> awesome, man. Now, you've not long got back from holiday, so let me ask you this. How have you been getting back into the swing of things because you're a futures day trader, you've usually got your pulse on the market all day long. Um, yeah, tell us a bit about how you sort of get back into the swing of things after coming off holiday. 
Uh, well, I think the first thing is accepting the fact that when you are back from holiday, you're, you, your timing is out. You don't really know what's moving the markets. You don't know what's sensitive and you don't know how the markets are moving. Are they you know, technically moving? Are they flow driven? You don't know. So there's a lot of unknown. So for me, the first and most important thing is manage risk. Uh, you know, if that means you cut your clip all the way down to even, even trading a one lot, that's fine. You know, our objective is not to be right or to catch every move. Our objective is to make money. So, for me, just first things first, you know, nice and easy, get back into it, click a lot. Uh, I've always found when I get back, I tend to be very excited. So I acknowledge that probably I'm going to be doing a lot of round trips. I'm probably going to have a lot of inconsistent days, a lot of red, green, red, green. Uh, and all I do is just adjust the clip so that the small day or the down days are relatively small. Uh, so that when I get my eye and when I start feeling comfortable, I start getting in tune with the market, then I get back to where I want to be. Um, so I think that that's pretty much how I would approach it. Just nice and easy. Take it easy. Give yourself uh, a week, uh, two weeks, and then really, yeah, just push on and, and get going with the year. So that's how I'd approach it. Right. So you say it's about one to two weeks before you get back up to your normal position size? Yeah, I'd say I'd say one to two weeks and, and then you feel comfortable. Uh, I think trading is all about feeling comfortable. You know, it's, it's about that trust factor. It's about you know, what you're seeing makes sense, uh, what you, what, you know, in the information you take on board, uh, it, it, it's what you understand. I think that's the thing is that when you understand something and it makes sense, then you'll allocate your risk properly. Uh, when you don't understand it, then you, 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 you're not going to commit properly. So I think just, I think a lot of mistakes some traders make is they come back and they sort of try and get straight back into it and try and do what they did right at the end of last year. And all they end up doing is digging a little bit of a hole at the start of the year. So, you know, just acknowledge it. It's just about simply pulling yourself away, making a, a decision that I'm out of tune, I'm out of rhythm. Let me just step back a little bit, you know, cut the size, take a week or two to get into it, get comfortable. After two weeks, I mean, it's like riding a bike. You, you know, everything, the correlations are back. You're seeing the lad as well. The eyes are, you know, I mean, the eyes, it's no secret. Your eyes do get tired after having a holiday. Uh, you know, if you haven't seen the screens for a while, it's not easy to sit in front of screens for 10 hours a day. So, you know, even that, even your body needs to get used to it. So rather than, you know, overcommit and over risk, just, just acknowledge that two weeks back, get back into it slowly. So now this might be a bit of a heavy question straight out of the gate, but you said there, you know, just again, get comfortable with things when you're trading, do you feel comfortable with the risk you're taking and in your approach? Because some traders talk about being uncomfortable as almost like a positive thing. How do you feel about that? Uh, first and foremost, what I would say is I think when I'm uncomfortable, it's because it's because of one or two reasons. One, uh, it's it, there's, a, there's a decision that's been taken that I'm uncertain of, whether that's a trade that I'm not sure of, whether that's I've gotten into something because someone else is in it. So there's that sort of uncomfortable where uh, there's an uncertainty I haven't thought about. And then there's an uncomfortable where I made a conscious decision that I want to put more risk on. I want to take on a bigger trade. So I think it's important to decide between the two because the one where you're uncertain, you know, because you're out, you, you lack some sort of certainty, uh, that one you want to stomp out of your trading as quick as possible. Uh, that's not a good uncertainty. You, in the long run, that's never going to do you any favors. Whereas if it's an uncomfortable in the sense that Okay, I'm trying something different. I'm taking on something that I believe in, that I understand. I, I understand the risks. That uncomfortable. That's brilliant. I mean, that that just shows growth. That shows you know you you you're heading in the right direction in in that sense of uncomfortable. So 
uh, definitely first and foremost associate between the two. And I think you need to be uncomfortable. Um, I think if you can, as a, as a goal, if you can every single day, um, write down something you want to do today that, that will put you out of your comfort zone. I mean, you're only going to make leaps and bounds. Um, but it must be a conscious uncomfortable, not, not, not a, you know, oh, bang, I'm in something now. I feel uncomfortable. And again, I think the unconscious comfortable, uncomfortables are going to come all the time because, you know, let's say bang, a news, news flashes, big comment comes out. You're a little bit uncertain. You know, you've probably got, you know, four or five times the size you used to having on a day in, day out. Uh, yeah, that's an uncomfortable feeling. But again, that's, I, mean, I know that's an unconscious uncomfortable, but, we do those sorts of trades time and time and time again. So it's almost like we've rehearsed how to execute those anyway. So uh, again, in that sense, uh, you just trust your skill set that you won't in that uncomfortable sense, you won't do the wrong thing. You'll, you'll execute, uh, based on what you've done in the past and hopefully the outcome will be good. Well said, man. Is there anything that you consciously did? Uh, it's early morning for you. So I'm going to say yesterday, that put yourself in an uncomfortable situation, like a good uncomfortable situation? What I did do yesterday is, so one of the things I'm working on this year is is for me to be bigger as a trader. It, it's no secret, you know, I've, I've, I've been in this job for four or five years and, and I, I've achieved a lot in, in my own sense, but there's one thing I've always really struggled with in, in you know, myself as a trader and that's to just keep progressively putting on size and keep trying to push the barriers. Now, I know what my stomach blocks have been. I've never really had a very strong process of getting bigger. I think getting bigger is a process. It's something you, you have to diligently sort of step for step right out almost. And just every single day, uh, keep following the step for step process. I mean, the way I've always gone about it was I'd come in in the morning. I'd be super excited. I'd be like, okay, cool. Today I'm going to be bigger. And I would suddenly do double the size, uh, in a currency market. It would maybe go wrong or, I wouldn't execute it like I would execute a normal trade. I would kind of be like, okay, well, you, you achieved something today or you didn't achieve something. And then, you know, it, it would just, there would never be constant progression in that sense. Um, so what I would say to answer your question coming back is if I did something, yes, I came in yesterday and I wrote down on my trading sheet that the only goal I have in mind for this year is to get progressively bigger. The way I went about it yesterday was there was a trade in the, uh, in the, the cable market. It came down to an area I wanted. Uh, you know, I, I had made the decision that I was going to execute a certain amount of size, but the way I executed it was, it was absolutely awful. Um, I, I, I did it in a very excited, I was like a little puppy, you know, wanting, you know, seeing my owner for the first time. And I kind of just, I just clicked a whole bunch of times and, you know, there the size was and it, it didn't make sense. And, and, uh, to, to answer, uh, to, to put it, you know, sort of bluntly, I, I would say I got away with it in the sense that had that gone wrong, had it sort of done something the opposite, I could have, I could have done some serious damage, not just to PL, but also to psychology. So, you know, I made a mental note yesterday. Yes, okay, I, I did something which was positive, but I need to just refine it, make it, you know, make the positive a little bit more progressive. And instead of just being excitable, clicking and, and adding more size, just, in a more calm manner, in a more specific, diligent manner. Um, so yeah, I stepped out of my comfort zone, but I needed to do a little bit better. So coming into today, uh, I've got that same task at hand. Uh, at some point in the day, I'm going to try and put on consciously some more size in the market, but I'm not going to rush into it. I'm not going to, you know, I'm not going to panic into it. Uh, I, I'm going to do it diligently. If I do that 
today, then, well, I've made progress on yesterday. And if I come in on Monday, then I do it again. I do it in a more diligent way. And that way, I'm just constantly not just evolving, you know, <laughs> myself as a trader, but, you know, I'm constantly getting that little bit better every day. Yeah, now, this is very interesting. So, you described it so there's an actual process to going bigger. It's not a matter of just coming in the next day and saying, I'm going to double my position size today. What's your plan so that at the end of this year, end of 2017, you can look back and you can say, I've, you know, compared to where I started at the start of 2017, you know, I've followed a process and I've gotten bigger as a trader. What actually does that process look like? Like how often do you increase? What are those increments that you increase your position size by? Like maybe flesh out that process of getting bigger a little more if possible. Okay. The first thing for me that, you know, whenever I have something I struggle with, um, the most important thing is to, to write it down, write down, you know, firstly, why do I want to get bigger? Okay. Obviously the objective is to get bigger. I want, you know, I want to, uh, I want to become a bigger trader, a better trader. I want to kind of, you know, take advantage of, of the skills I've developed over the five years. So first and foremost, I've got to write out why I'm actually doing this. You know, what is the purpose uh, at the end of the day? Then I need to go and actually look at all, all the elements uh, of this concept of getting bigger. And then the reason is because sometimes we, we want to take something on, but we're not, we don't always understand all the various angles. And what I mean by that is, for instance, getting bigger. Let's say I want to get bigger. One of the things I have to consider is that I'm taking on more risk. So what does that mean in terms of my daily P&Ls? What does that mean in terms of where my account balance is, what does it mean in terms of, you know, what it's going to do to me psychologically uh, as a trader? Can I accept that, you know, instead of, you know, losing maybe $2,000 on a trade, now I might have to accept losing $3,000 on a trade. So I need to assess every one of these individual angles based on the goal I'm trying to achieve. If I do that, it's almost like I'm covering all my bases. It's almost like I finally have a good understanding of ultimately where I'm trying to go. Now, the reason I do that is because if you understand where you're trying to go, to put a step-for-step process is pretty straightforward. It's not difficult because you know what you want to achieve. You know how you're going to get there. You simply write down the 10 steps and you follow them. Um, so I think the first thing is is obviously understanding the risk associated with getting bigger. That's the one thing I needed to understand. Um, the second thing I needed to, to obviously put in place was some form of a limit progression. So this is all kind of how I go about getting bigger. A limit progression sheet for me is on day one, I write down all the limits I have across all the markets. And I say to myself, okay, what I'm going to progressively do once a month is I'm going to send the risk manager a message saying, I want more. I want 25% increase in my limit. So if I've got, uh, you know, currently if I've got 80 German bonds, then uh, at the end of the month, I say, listen, I want another 20, please. And I just don't take no for an answer. I will justify to my risk manager, say, well, look, the way I see it is I want to get bigger. This is part of my goal for getting bigger, if you feel that when I'm taking on this additional risk, it's it's maybe detrimental, your opinion is valid, but I need you on board for me to get to where I want to go. Um, and again, I think most risk managers, they're smart enough to know when, when you've taken a, a very process-orientated approach like this, they're never going to turn you down they, they, because they know that you, you're consciously in control of what you're trying to achieve, and that's what they want to see. They, they'll happily give you leverage so long as you're constantly, uh, you know, sort of making the conscious decision to get better. Um, and then one of the other things I will do on a day-to-day basis is I, I call it the all-in, you know, sort of the all-in trend. It was pretty much what I did yesterday in the cable market is that on a day-to-day basis, in order to get 
bigger with something in order to sign a kind of just uh, you know get used to something new you almost need to test the water you almost need to dip your toe in you know in the cold water and I, I, what I mean by that in a trading sense is if the biggest ever clip I've traded in you know the cable market is is a 20 lot then you know what tomorrow I'm going to come in and I'm going to put a 25 lot because I need to just feel it I need to just you know I, need, I almost need to prove to myself that the difference between 20 and 25 is absolutely nothing there is no difference between 20 and 25. There's a psychological uh, difference that we somehow recreate this wonderful story in our heads. But in essence, fact-based, there is no difference between 20 and 25. The market can take that additional liquidity. If there was, say, let's say 20 against 100, okay, now you've got a liquidity factor to consider. But again, that is just something you add into your process of ultimately getting bigger. So for me, it's a, it's a, it's a week by week. I want to look on the week. Have I taken on an all-in trade at least every single day this week? And by all-in, I mean, have I maxed out the number of limits I can uh, in a contract on a week, uh, on, a, on every day in the week? If I've done that, well, I'm slowly but surely going to, one, get used to having more size in the market. But two, if, if my normal clip was, say, uh, you know, again, a 20 lot, and suddenly this week I pushed 30 lots a few times, well, 20 lots psychologically is going to become far easier going forward. And that's all it is. It's just, just feeling out the bigger clips because then the smaller clips ultimately become that little bit easier. And that for me is, is the way I would go about it. I think, and, and that's, again, that's a very personal way of going about it because my psychology is different to other people, you know. Everyone differs, but the important thing to understand is, you know, how does your psychology work? How can you put something in place that's ultimately going to get you, you know, progressing toward what you ultimately want to achieve? Now, if a trader listening to this right now also has a similar goal this year uh, to get bigger as a trader, to trade more size, so that they have a bit of a sense of your goal, how much bigger are you trying to get? Are you trying to trade positions four times as big as what you're currently trading right now by the end of the year, or is it just double, or is it more? Like, give us a bit of a sense on how much bigger you're trying to get as a trader this year. Uh, again, um, maybe it's just the way I sort of like, I, I've never had limits. I don't, I don't like putting a number on. So I don't. I've never been someone that uh, says, okay, this year I want to achieve, you know, half a million dollars. I think. The minute you do that, you, you're setting a limit as to how far you can go and you're creating a mental hurdle. And, and again, again, for me, where I know I'm not good at mental hurdles was when I started as a trader, we had very specific targets we had to reach in order to get what we called split ups, where we would get more of our profits. And I hated, I used to struggle so much getting to those targets. If someone said to me, you know, bang, you get to 30 grand, then, you know, you're at the next target. I hated it. I'd get to 27, 28 and I would stall and I'd stumble and suddenly there was this mental hurdle I had to overcome. So for me, I don't, I don't attach numbers. I wouldn't say I want to be double as big. For me, I just want to process. Um, and if my process ultimately means that at the end of the year, I'm, you know, clipping twice as much or 10 times as much or a hundred times as much, well, that, that for me is not, that's not my goal. My goal isn't to be a thousand times bigger. My goal is to follow a step-for-step process uh, and get bigger. And I can measure that on a week-to-week basis so long as I'm following those steps, so long as every day I'm ticking off that little, little tick box saying, today you did this, today you did this. So I'm not very much a numbers target. I'm more of a sort of a uh, you know step-for-step type process. And again, it, it all depends on the individual. Some people are better at from get from A to B and then go from B to C, and that's fine. 
for me, I prefer a process oriented uh, approach. So again, I would say, uh, ideally, if I was to guess, if I was five times, 10 times as bigger by the end of the year, you know, awesome. I can high five myself and say, you know, job done. Um, so yeah, that, that would be my answer to that. Yeah, cool. Now that's a great answer, man. I, I, I respect that. Let's backtrack a little bit. Give us the rundown on your market or your trading, I should say. Give us the rundown on your trading backstory. Where did you start out? And let's go from there. Okay, so um, I uh, I always wanted to trade. I was, uh, like I mentioned to you, I, I was a broker. Um, not really a broker. I was a, I was a dealer, a, a currency dealer. And uh, I remember nagging my manager, my line manager, saying, listen, can can I trade a little bit? Can you let me take on or open some of the clients' positions up and, and let me manage them? And you know, for a long time, he said, well, that's not our job, et cetera, et cetera. So I said to him, well, you know, I will be a better dealer broker if you let me learn to trade. So you put me on a course and I understand the markets a bit better. And he said no. So eventually I was like, okay, well, I, I need to learn to trade and I'm going to have to leave South Africa and come to the UK for that. Uh, I landed in the UK without a job on the 1st of September uh, 2011, and uh, I had a second round interview at uh, a company called Futex. And yeah, second round interview was a lot of fun. Uh, thankfully, when it was finished, I got offered the job straight away and started there. And and you know, was lucky enough to get onto a grad scheme. Lucky enough to have someone else say, "Listen, we'll take all the risk on you. We'll take a gamble on you." I, I was lucky enough to to have all that opportunity available um, uh, to me. So that's kind of where you know my career started out. That's where I started to learn uh, to trade and, and learn about the markets. Uh, now, as for learning the markets, what I would say is uh, it's not a case of being at a, a trading firm, you're going to learn to trade. It doesn't work like that. Uh, I think being on a trading floor allows you access to like-minded people. It allows you access to uh, an abundance of experiences. But the, if anyone thinks you, you join up on a trading floor and they're going to show you the, the trade setups and, and, and how it works and the holy grail, it doesn't work like that. It's trading is a very personal. Uh, it's a very personal thing because we we all have specific characteristics and skills that we will uh, you know put toward our trading. Uh, but more often than not, if you naturally, let's say, if you're extremely patient, you don't like risk uh, or you don't like sitting offside, then you're probably going to be a far better breakout trader. Now, if you're at a firm that no one takes breakout trades, everyone takes position trades. Well, uh, all of a sudden you're probably in the wrong place uh, at the wrong time. So again, I was very lucky in a sense that when I joined, I had guys that did all sorts of things. You know, some guys that, you know, were big, some guys were small, some guys, you know, took one tick winners, some guys took very big winners. And so I, I was very lucky and, and I, you know, I joined at a really good time when the industry was, was flourishing, you know, it was good for all at that time. Um, so yeah, that's kind of the beginning days of, of where my career uh, started out. This might be a bit of a naive question, but why did you have to move to the UK? Why couldn't you stay in South Africa? Um, are there no trading firms there? What's the go? So South Africa uh, is, yeah, the, the simple answer is there is no futures trading out in South Africa. We've obviously got, uh, I mean, the SAFX, which is the South African Future, Futures Exchange. Uh, I mean, there's a lot of single stocks on there. Uh, but again, I think the only reason we have that in South Africa is because we've got quite a few international companies listed on the South African Stock Exchange, some some real big names because of the commodity sector, et cetera, et cetera. Um, there is one or two firms out there I've visited in South Africa. So there is an industry there, but it's very, very small. It, it's very dedicated to equity markets. 
so as for German Bund, Eurostox 50, you know, the bigger sort of futures, more liquid futures markets, there just isn't, uh, there just aren't many traders out there, or there weren't many back in 2011. That is changing. Uh, the community is starting to grow in South Africa now. Um, and a lot of that has got to do with infrastructure. Um, you know, back in the day, uh, you know, trading from South Africa, you had, say, four or 500 millisecond delays. Uh, you know, it's just never going to be conducive to day trading. As a swing trader, yeah, by all means. Um, but also exposure. I think South Africa, you know, we, our culture, we, we're not a gambling culture. Uh, you know, we, we, we work hard. We, we, we value things differently. You know, we, we enjoy spending time with our families, working our month's wage, getting our wage, you know, putting away some for savings. You know, the way we've been brought up is still very different to, you know, the Western world. But that's all changing. Um, you know, as, as the likes of Starbucks and some of the big corporations move in South Africa and we become more westernized over time, uh, steadily, South Africa is starting to, you know, not just pick up, you know, the sort of the Western norms, but we're also now starting to trade a lot more speeds are a lot more effective. Uh, you know, I mean, I traded out there last year for three months and uh, it was fantastic. It was an awesome experience. Um, so, yeah, it's starting to pick up now. And then so it was a case of back then there was no opportunity. Now, uh, you know, those opportunities are steadily starting to pick up a bit more in South Africa. Right. So you moved to the UK. You went for an interview with Futex. Why did Futex want you to come on board? You know, you had very little trading experience at the time. Uh, what was it that they saw in you that they accepted you into their firm? Um, I think I think it was the excitedness. Uh, I, I when when I start something new, I'm, I'm always very excited, but also very determined. I don't. I've never taken no for an answer. So even if they had said no to me, I probably would have gone back and said, "Listen, I think you should reconsider." Um, so for me, I think it was it, it, they saw someone who you know, would be like in a dogfight. He would just keep going and going and going. I think if now looking back, if someone asked me, what do I think are, are the key characteristics of a successful trader? I think one of them is dogfight. You know, this, this job will, will turn you over and spit you out so many times. If you can't keep coming back, rolling with the punches, you, you'll just never survive. Um, so I think it was maybe they identified, well, that is a characteristic we've seen in other successful traders. Uh, therefore, he's got one of the key ingredients. Let's give him a go and, and see if uh, you know he might have some of the other key ingredients. Would you say you have the same level of excitement still to this day? Absolutely. As much as sometimes I say counter to that, uh, I think the fact that the markets are constantly evolving, the fact that they, they're constantly testing me, uh, it means I'll, I'll always have that excitement. I think the day the excitement will drop off is the day I've achieved what I envision in my head is what I want to achieve. So I think the day I, I, I feel like I've, I've learned everything, not just in a trading sense, but in a personal sense, I think the day I've learned everything about myself, about, you know, the job I do, I think that will be the day, you know, my interest begins to drop off. And at the moment, I, I just don't know if that day could ever come. I mean, there's, there's just, there's, this this game changes every single day. Every single day, something new, every single day I'm writing down something that makes me just go, Okay. Um, and for me, so long as I'm having those, oh, okay moments, um, yeah, I, I could, I could see myself being excited for another 10, 20, 30 years. <laughs> okay. Now you said a little earlier that if someone thinks that they're going to just rock into a trading firm and everyone's just going to open up and show them everything, that's not really the case in most cases. What was that experience like? What sort of things did they show you and what sort of things were you 
almost forced to learn on your own? What I would say is that any trading firm is is only as good as the traders. You know, Futex was a label. We just called that group of traders Futex traders. It's the traders that are in the firm that ultimately make the experience that, that dictate your future. Um, I think it's so important that when you pick a firm, you don't pick a name. You don't pick a, oh, these guys have got the biggest traders because that doesn't necessarily mean you're going to flourish. I think the types of traders, the types of personalities you are, you're amongst, that will ultimately uh, dictate where you're going to go. Now, uh, what, what sort of backs that sort of up is if I were to summarize Futex's most successful traders, they all had one very, very key common characteristic. And I don't think that was something Futex taught the traders. I think it's something the traders uh, ended up teaching each other, but not purposefully. And that was risk management. I think every one of the traders at Futex were so diligent at managing risk. They were all they were all the ultimate risk manager. When when they're on sides, they're on sides well leveraged. When they're offside, they had nothing on. They were losing so little when they were losing. They were making so much when they were making so much. And that wasn't just amongst the best traders. That was amongst from from senior to sort of you know guys that have been there three four years to guys that have been there sort of after a year. They were all like brilliant risk managers. And it was almost the case that anyone that couldn't be a perfect risk manager or that couldn't really you know trade in that manner somehow they, they, they sort of withered away and, and, and they never really made it. So again, what I would say is it wasn't the name. It was, it was the actual traders. Now, what Futex did teach us, and I think you know, what, um, you know, where we were very lucky was, so when we started, we, we had a grad course. We had a, a, you know, fundamentals, technicals, you know, this is a Bollinger Band, et cetera, et cetera. But what they did give us was a lot of screen time. They, they did give us, you know, we were so lucky. You know, we had a, one of our, one of our, our well, our biggest trader it was there was a guy named Lee Gibbs, and you know he's still to this day he's one of the best traders, and and he's probably one of the most successful traders we've ever seen in the futures uh, in, in industry. And I mean, this guy, you know, I, I'm an early bird. I like getting to the office nice and fresh, ready to go. And this guy used to be in the office before me. You know, six twenty a.m. every morning. This is a guy that you know he's he's made so much money. He's a legend, and he still gets in at six twenty every morning. And to, to lean on that, I mean, when, when you come in as a grad and you're like, well, the most successful guy's at 620, well, I, I better get you at 620. And, you know, to this day, he still comes in at 620. And so that's where, you know, I don't know if it's right to say Futex taught us that. Traders taught us that. You know, when I saw this guy at 620, bang, I came in at 620. When I saw this guy at his desk at the top of the hour for a reason, bang, I was at my desk, top of the hour, ready to go. If I saw this guy, you know, hour after the close, printing off charts, what did I do? Well, I printed off charts too because every one of those little individual characteristics each of the traders had is what ultimately made them successful. So I, ne- I would never I would never talk badly about a Futex. They gave me a fantastic opportunity. But I would always say it wasn't Futex that made any one of those guys successful or, you know, made me or gave, you know, made me become a trader. It was the individuals within the firm, uh, that collectively ultimately made the success of, of the company. So that's how I would look at it. That's what I learned, uh, you know, from a Futex, if we're going to call it uh, a collective. Are you a developing or seasoned day trader who trades the U.S. markets? Is the only thing stopping you from getting to the next level is having enough capital to trade? Trade the Pool is a unique online stock trading prop firm that funds stock traders worldwide. 
not having to risk your own capital can help you focus on other things like making better decisions on your trades. There's no PDT rules to worry about. You got more than 12,000 stocks and ETFs to trade, long or short, and professional tools at your side. How you get funded is you show them your skills through a straightforward evaluation process. Once you pass the evaluation, you get funded and trade with their pool of money and split the profits. Don't let the lack of buying power, capital, or fear of losing your own money prevent you from taking your trading to the next level. Visit tradethepool.com slash chat to learn more. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. One of the things you really emphasized there was how good the traders that you came up around were at risk management. Can we just unpack that a little more? What sort of things did they do that made them so good at risk management? Uh, I'd say two things. First and foremost was they knew leverage. Most successful day traders understand leverage. They understand the implications of leverage, but they also understand how to employ leverage. Now, by leverage, I just mean, you know, when, when it's good, you know, pick up the size, bet more, risk more. Uh, when, when something has a probability, a 95% probability of going either up or down, well, that's when you want to leverage up because the odds are heavily stacked in your favor. Um, you know, when, when it's the other way around, then, you know, when you're, you know, 10, 20% likely to go get success, why would you risk more? So they, they understood. And, and again, I don't know if it was necessarily that they consciously understood it. It's just through having experienced markets time and time again, they knew when to leverage up and when to get off or ease off the button. So that's the first thing why they were sort of almost perfect risk managers. And the second one was, you know, that traders at Futex were extremely good uh, at, you know, when it was tough, uh, when it was hard, you know, they, they, the good traders knew to back off. They, whether that meant not trading, whether that meant, you know, maybe just taking a couple of days off, they were very, very switched on to, to when the game had shifted, when the opportunities had kind of sort of started to mute out a little bit. Um, so, and then obviously when it got good, man, they used to get back into first, second, third, even to sixth gear almost instantaneously. So it was, it was that intuition that was what made them such good risk managers. So ultimately, you know, for if I was to summarize it, when, 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 the, when it was good, when the markets were moving, when it was going in their favor, for lack of a better word, they were, you know, taking advantage of it. They were putting risk on the table. When it was the other way around, obviously, they didn't have as much risk on the table. All right. So your first point there when you talked about uh, using leverage, when you say that they leveraged up when the game was good, are you just meaning that they took bigger position sizes or are you talking about leverage explicitly? Okay. So I, w- I would say taking bigger position sizes. So by leverage, I, I simply mean, you know, if, if your if your minimum uh, lot size and you're used to clipping, let's say 10 lots every day, uh, you know, bang, something comes up, whether it's a huge technical break, whether it's a structural play, a pattern that you've recognized, 
you know, for the last five years that, that works 60, 70% of the time, uh, you know, bang, you leverage up. You know, if you're used to clipping 10, you're going to put that to 30, 40, 50. Now, why? Because the odds are in your favor. You know, it, it makes sense. You understand the risk. It's got really good, you know, potential reward. Uh, it's going to cost you relatively little to see that. Uh, and, you know, you, you've seen it time and time again. So by leverage, I just mean, you know, putting on more risk, putting on, uh, you know, multiplying upward uh, and taking advantage of, of a probability that, that is higher than what you're used to seeing. Right, right. And then your second point, uh, you, you use the word intuition. How long do you think it takes for a, a discretionary day trader to develop a good sense of intuition? I think uh, the answer to that is it could take you forever to develop very good intuition. Uh, but to 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 get uh, more specific, I think from beginning to end, to to understand that that general feeling about yourself, about you know trusting yourself, your ability, about trusting what you're seeing, you know whether the market's moving this way or that way. I, I think that could take you, you know, at least. Two years at least. Uh, and again, like I say, intuition is experience. Ultimately, all intuition is is, is a, a level of experience. Now, how long does it take you to develop experience? Well, how long do you spend in front of the screens? Um, you know, when you're in front of the screens, uh, are you actually purposefully focusing on something specific? You know, or are you just sitting there mulling over a chart? You know, if you if you're looking over charts all day, well, how much intuition are you really developing? Um, so again, it's all it all depends on the individual. You know, if uh, if you did 10,000 hours, I'd say, okay, yeah, you've probably got a, a level of intuition. Um, but one person's 10,000 hours might be very different to someone else's 10,000 hours. So again, yeah, intuition, I'd say if I was to put a time frame, uh, probably at least two years. Um, and again, you know, in two years, most people forget, you know, for instance, when, when I started the back end of 2011, uh, the markets were volatile as hell. You know, I remember days where, you know, the market would just in the middle of a range, suddenly it would just blip, you know, suddenly prices would just disappear. And that's how the markets were. They were extremely volatile. Um, and that was for the first, you know, say six months of my career. Then the market started to slow up. And then in 2013, 2014, markets were dead. So in three, four years, I went from seeing volatile to seeing mid-volatile to seeing no volatile. Now, when I see the volatile again, I'll probably you know, I'll have a little bit of experience, but I'm probably going to have to learn a few skills associated with volatile markets again. So, you know, that intuition, I mean, if I, if I were to go to volatile markets again, now I'd probably struggle a little bit. Um, but I've got the experience. I've got a few other factors that I can lean on uh, that will allow me to not just get better at that, but develop intuition trading those types of markets. Now, your situation today, you're no longer with Futex, uh, obviously, because Futex is no longer around. Um, can you just explain uh, what actually happened in that situation? I think at, at the end of the day, I, I, I'm, I'm not going to really talk about Futex. I think at the end of the day, they, they, it was unfortunate what happened to Futex. I think they had an extremely good set of traders, probably some of the best traders in the city. Um, the important thing is, I think... Uh, you know, Futex all gave us uh, an opportunity for a, a future somewhere else. And I think that's the best way to look at it. I think, uh, you know, all those traders today, we're all still friends. We all still communicate. Uh, we'll all still go for that, that occasional dinner when we can. Um, but the guys are still trading, and that's what matters. Every one of the traders, it wasn't a nice experience. It was a learning experience. Um, and I think that's the important thing to take away from it. Everyone is now housed somewhere else. 
everyone is trading again, doing ultimately what they want to do. So I think that's the important thing. Uh, as for me, uh, I was lucky enough to to stick with uh, probably five or six of the original Sutex guys. Uh, we started with uh, a, a new firm uh, still in the city. It took us three or four months to get up and running and, and a little bit of experimentation on things. But we've gotten going again. We're back in the group. Uh, you know, nothing's changed. Uh, it's still the same markets, just uh, a slightly different group of guys. Uh, and yeah, that's where I'm at. I'm still trading the future, still the same job, uh, just under, like I said in the beginning, just under a different banner now. Uh, it's just called Axia Futures now. Um, so same sort of, you know, kind of things I'm looking for, leaning on the experience of others, always looking, you know, to find, you know, if someone's got a strength, can I, can I learn and absorb that strength and, and grow from that? So yeah, that, that's where we are at today. Yeah, no, that's really good, man. I'm, I'm pleased you've landed on your feet. Um, tell us a little bit about what markets you trade. You know, we've already established that you're a day trader, but um, yeah, tell us a little bit about the markets you trade. Uh, what are you most active on? Okay, so I'm one of those that trades. If I was going to summarize it, I, I trade across eight multi, uh, eight specific markets. That'll be uh, in the bond space, will be the German bonds and the uh, US tenure. In the equity industry space, I'd say the E-Mini 500 uh, and the Eurostock 50. In the currency space, euro and uh, sterling, and then in the commodity space, oil and gold. Now, the way I trade, it's it, and it's probably taken me five years to sort of come to this conclusion and structure in my head, is my four main markets will be the e-money, the Eurostox 50, the German Bunds, and the 10-year. And those I will trade religiously. I will chart them very specifically. So when I chart those markets, I do it a little bit differently to when I chart the currencies, uh, the gold and the commodities. The reason is when when I'm trading my four sort of main markets, I'm more day trading those. I'm sometimes I'm scalping, sometimes I'm position trading. Uh, I'm looking for very key areas to get involved. When I'm trading the other four, the currencies and commodities, uh, I'm actually swing trading them, and and by that I mean day swing trading. So I'm taking a position in the market. I'm saying, well, you know, I feel my location here that I'm getting involved in is pretty good. I'm getting in here. If I if I take the loss, that's fine. There's no problem there because uh, I've recognized a pattern that gives me uh, opportunity. Now, the way in which I navigate between all eight markets is very simple. I like flow. Uh, it's no secret if anyone's ever watched me on Periscope or ever seen any kind of, a, of the videos, the multiple videos we, we had on YouTube. I am a flow trader. I like the flows. But equally, I'll, I'll happily stand up against the market. If I feel a market's trending up and people want to sell it at lower prices, well, I'm happy to stand in the way and and uh, you know buy lower prices until it starts to go up so for me when there is activity when there's interest when there's you know a lot of people looking at something uh, in a market that's when i want to get involved because there'll be volatility um whether it's up whether it's down is relevant it doesn't bother me but if there's volatility it's relevant and i pay attention to it so that's kind of how uh, i would shift between between the eight markets and one of the things that i noticed from watching uh some of your periscope videos is that uh, you're very clued into news. Obviously, that, that sort of makes sense as you're day trading futures. How do you prepare going into major news announcements? Maybe walk us through those days. Okay, cool. So um, I think one of the things is that uh, it's important to understand why we prepare so well for news. Uh, when there's when there's something that the market's not fundamentally priced for or the market is priced one way but it comes the news comes out the other way, um, there's significant positioning in the market. So 
first and foremost, you need to understand when there's significant positioning one way or the other, if that needs to unwind, it's going to unwind in a significant manner. And it's that significant manner that's going to create the significant volatility, which gives us the significant opportunity. Um, so that's kind of why we first and foremost keep up with the news, but also prepare so religiously for it. Now, a preparation, and I think the best thing to do is let's say take a central bank. Uh, you know, the central banks nowadays, most of the major central banks will meet eight times a year. Uh, it doesn't mean they're going to change policy eight times a year, but heck, if, if the ECB comes out this year and tapers, I bet uh, you can bet your bottom dollar one will be prepared for it, but two will make extremely good money on it. Um, so I think the reason why we prepare for these major events is that uh, I don't like the word free money, but they're slightly easier money because you've got binaries. Uh, and by binaries, I mean uh, he either says A or he says B. If he says A, you respond this way. If he says B, you respond this way. So you it, people fear the fundamental news, but actually you should embrace it because if you know all eventualities, and, and obviously there's times when you can't prepare for all eventualities, but if you are prepared for those eventualities, you're merely just responding to a plan, you're just reacting to a plan. Uh, and you know that, you know, sort of seven, eight, nine times out of 10, you know, your plan should be good enough because you've interpreted, you've got the experience to understand how the market uh, will respond uh, and react. So, that is why we spend so much time preparing for the news. Now, how we prepare for it is very simple. Uh, if I take, let's say, the European Central Bank, um, and again, this is probably where I was very, very, very lucky was that, you know, when, uh, when I was at, you know, the, the, the Futex, the old days, uh, you know, we kind of, central bank trading wasn't really a big thing. But over time, with certain individuals joining the firm, they kind of started to point it out and say, well, listen, you, know, you guys aren't really looking at these central banks, and you should be. So, you know, again, that's where I come back to the importance of being around sort of, you know, experienced guys. Um, but anyway, so how we would prepare for a central bank? It's very simple. We, we, every month we're obviously, um, you know, we, we're looking at what the market's expectations is of the central banks. Um, more importantly, we're looking how the market's pricing in and around those expectations. So for instance, at the moment, if you look at Europe, the whole of Europe still believes that, you know, the European Central Bank isn't tapering. They're still going to be buying 60 billion bonds a month after March. Uh, and that any kind of a taper will probably only come towards September. So we know that. We know that's what all the big banks, the institutions, the pension funds, we know that's their thinking. So if we know that, we are, as of today, we are prepared. If, if a comment came out right now, hopefully it doesn't, obviously. If a comment came out right now that, you know, the ECB was mulling over maybe an early taper or something, that, there's no, there's no thought process. We react, we respond because we have already prepared by reading the newspapers by, you know, every time a Draghi or a European central banker of importance speaks, we're listening. We want to see what they're saying. We want to interpret, you know, what their stance is. Uh, and more importantly, uh, you know, we're always just assessing how the market is responding to these little bits of stimulus. You know, that, that's the wonderful thing about you know, data and fundamental news is that it's like a test. Uh, you know, if, if a data piece comes out and the market should, you know, ramp to the upside because it's a huge uh, miss or a beat, but the market goes in the opposite direction, it's a test. It's telling you that actually the technical landscape uh, is completely the other way around because the fundamentals couldn't even move it in the direction it should. So that's how we prepare. It's, a, it's, a, it's an ultimate understanding. It's a, you know, every morning a, a reading the FT, a Bloomberg, a, you know, reading what the banks are saying, reading, listening to the CNBC, listening to the, you know, the, the chaps on, on the TV talking absolute rubbish most of the time. But that rubbish is feeding you little bits of, of interpretations. And you put that all together, you make sure you're always prepared, make sure you understand which way the market is around, 
And when things change, uh, you know, you just, just take advantage of it. And what I will say is this doesn't happen every day. This doesn't sometimes happen for months. It might only even happen once a year, but I only need it to happen once a year. And then it makes it all worth it. So that's, that's the way we approach it. And that's why we spend so much time on the fundamentals. Now, during this preparation, when you interpret these announcements, how do you determine what's positive and what's likely to be negative? Like, how do you anticipate what direction the market might move? Okay, I think you, you base it on, on where the positioning is. So, let's say, let's take an interest rate uh, cycle. Now, if we take, uh, for instance, the Bank of Canada, they've come out recently and uh, they're still leaning on the fact that they might want to cut rates. So we know the, the the positioning in the market, in the CAD, going into any of these kind of meetings or anything that has to do with the fundamental of interest rates, we know the CAD has a tendency to lean towards the downside. Why? Because, well, the governor of the central bank told us that they're still looking at the potential for a cut because inflation is low, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. If that changes, if that suddenly shifts, then we know what the pricing is. We know which way the market is around on that fundamental. So we merely just take advantage when it comes, you know, on the opposite to the way the market is actually positioning. Now, not all fundamentals move markets, okay? Interest rates do move markets. But, you know, take, for example, I, you know, go back to 2012. I remember the U.S. durable goods orders, uh, which was highly influential in calculating the U.S. GDP number. That used to move the market so much. Now, it doesn't move at all. It doesn't even flinch. Uh, you know, data pieces used to be, you know, move the market a lot. Now they don't. So things come and go. Fundamentals come and go. And your job as a trader is to make sure when they're there, you take advantage if they offer the opportunity. When they're not there, you, you do what a smart trader does. You, you don't try and force it because ultimately, and this is a mistake so many people make, it doesn't matter what we think. No one cares what we think. All that matters is which way the market goes. If, if you think you know more than the market and you think you can move the market around, well, you're not going to last very long. If the market goes up, you go up with it. If it goes down, you go down with it. Uh, and, and that's the basic you know, sort of emphasis on, on trading, really. Exactly. And you said in your earlier response that for most of these sort of announcements that the outcome is pretty much binary, either it goes up or it goes down. So, you know, Let's uh, let's presume that you think something's going to go up, but it actually goes down. How do you prepare yourself for those situations? How do you uh, manage your risk, and how do you actually react to that um, outcome? So the first thing is, and again, this is probably you know I used to be that guy that you know bang, let's say a data piece comes out absolutely out of line, you know I'm long, but 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 I'm buying, I'm buying, I'm buying, and it's not going up, it's going down, down, down. And then what do I do? Bang, I average it. And what it does, it goes, keep going down, down, down. And what do I do? I average it and it keeps going down. And, and I get to the end of the day, the risk manager would have had a yell at me. I'd be really upset with myself. I'd be hard on myself. How did you not see this? And eventually one day I stopped and looked and I went, okay, let's try and figure out at which point, yeah, one, I actually could have stopped averaging. And then two, at which point, it, there, you know, the market kind of was obviously staring me in the face saying, you know, why are you, why are you being so, you know, subjective? Yeah. Why are you enforcing what you think on the market? So by having made that mistake numerous times, I'll tell you, uh, by having made that mistake a number of times, I eventually sort of turned that error, turned that sort of mental sort of, you know, error thinking into an advantage. And the outcome was that to this day, if something comes out in a manner and I get long, long, long because of whatever it may be, I have a very specific point in the pattern where I will ex not only exit the trade, 
but I will actually take the reverse of the trade. And the reason I do is because a long time ago, I identified that a lot of people would have been making the exact same mistake as me. And it's that exact mistake which is going to create the continuation in the opposite direction. Because if everyone is making the same mistake and everyone is long, then what has everyone got to do to get out of those longs? They've got to sell. So rather than, you know, making the mistake of, you know, one, you know, trying to enforce what I think has to happen, I said, well, heck, if I lose money on, on doing what I think should have happened, that's cool because I'll get it back because I know there's always going to be those emotional traders. There's always going to be those weak traders that aren't going to let go quick enough. And if I take advantage of that, not only am I going to get back the loss, but I'm actually going to make money. So that's kind of, you know, the, first, that's my philosophy almost. That's my ingrained belief. I, I truly believe that even if I, you know, lose a little bit, I'm going to make it back on the way down. So now you ask yourself, well, how do I identify that point at which I switch? Well, it's very simple. I've always believed that if a market starts at, say, price 90 and gets up to, say, price uh, 99, the fact that we went from 90 to 99 is suggested that price has sort of adjusted. Now, if price is adjusted because of new fundamental information, we should never, ever get back to that 90. Why? Because, well, new fundamentals suggest new value. The fact that we've come back to 90 is telling you the market does not believe in this supposed subjective new value you've created in your head. So it's very simple. The minute you get back below 90, I know there's a lot of people that are still of this belief that the fair price is 99. But in actual fact, it isn't because we're back at 90. So the minute we get back to that 90, I'm looking on the other side of the market. I'm accepting, you know what, this one's wrong. I'll live to die another day. But I'm actually going to take advantage now of anyone that, that is still stuck in that frame of mind that we should be going up instead of the opposite direction. So that's how I approach it. It's a, first having that philosophy, that belief in what I'm seeing, what I'm understanding through past experiences, through past losses. But then equally also looking, well, how can I take advantage of other people's thinking, of other people's maybe a little bit of lack of discipline? Yeah, this actually reminds me of something that a guest I've had on previously said. He said that... um Often the biggest moves happen when most people are wrong, which I thought um, <laughs> was really funny and kind of uh, reflects what you're saying there. And true, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So we've talked a lot about your preparation, sort of going into the day, during the day, uh, preparing for major announcements and that sort of thing. Let's go to the other end of the day. How do you reflect at the end of each day? I presume that's something you do do. What things are important to you? So I do, I, as part of my process routine, uh, I do a debrief every single day. Um, and I know when I'm, when I'm not doing these debriefs well, it does reflect my performance because I miss certain opportunities. So, you know, that, that's first and foremost. But if I'm not doing a debrief, I'm missing opportunities the next day. Now, the kinds of thing that would be my debrief is very simple. When I look at any given day on a, as a trader, I truly, again, as a philosophy, I truly believe every single day there is an opportunity. Every single day. Without fail, Monday to Friday, there is, uh, you know, like Mike Belafort put it, I, I loved it. I, I'm going to steal his phrase there. There is one good trade every single day across one of my eight markets. So the way I look at it is I need to have identified that one good trade. Now, the only way I do that is by doing a debrief. Now, more importantly, once I've identified that one good trade, I have to make sure I execute that 100% to the best of my ability. Because if I do, then it's one good trade. It's the only trade I needed of the day. Uh, I think that's a common sort of you know error that a lot of people make. They seem to think you need to do lots of trades, and you don't. You only need one trade a day. Uh, you know whether that's taking a few small increments, and then you're done for that. Our job 
ultimately is not to be right. Our job's not to take all the trades. Our job is to make money. Um, so you only need one trade a day to make money, to make really good money. Um, so uh, for me, what I would do on a, on a debrief is very simple. I go through that one good trade. I make sure that, you know, in my head, where I executed, how I executed, how I managed, how much size I got on, I go through each one of those elements to make sure that the next time that one good trade comes, which will be the next day, I'm that little bit better. I'm that little bit more conscious. I'm that little bit more sort of, you know, hungry to, to take advantage of my one good trade. Um, so that's the kind of the, from a strategy perspective, that's, that would be the strategy part of my debrief. Then other things I would do is I like to watch back price action a lot. Um, so I, I record my days uh, whilst I'm trading and I then go and look, it's, it's funny when you, when you watch yourself, um, or when you try to trade live and when you watch yourself replay, oh, it's two completely different emotions. You know, when I, when I watch a ladder back, I'm like, oh, salate, salate, salate. And it just, for some reason, it goes down, 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 down. When, when, when I'm live trading, I'm like, salate, salate, salate. It goes up, up, up. So, you know, when you're watching things back, you, you're just seeing so much more information. So I do watch things back a lot. And then I also spend a lot of time uh, ticking my boxes. You know, I've, I've actually got my DVD sheet in front of me, and you know, I've got a four a four box uh, approach where there's there's twelve ticks that are required, and and it's very simple. You know, was I in at six thirty a.m.? You know, very simple. You know, tick it off. Yes, I was. Uh, you know, did I fill in my morning uh, trading sheet? I tick it off. Uh, did I take my break at eleven thirty to to one and do some you know mental mind state? Did I go to gym? Did I? What did I do? And I tick it off. So at the end of the day, I come back and I say, well, you have your twelve boxes. Yeah, you met six of them. You didn't meet six of them. Well, what's the result? We lost money. Oh, okay, no surprise. No surprises there. Uh, you follow the twelve stick approach. Twelve tick approach, and you know ultimately. You will have good performance, not necessarily green performance, good performance. Um, so that's kind of the things. And obviously emotions. Um, you know, I, I can be a little bit emotional sometimes. Uh, I can whine uh, a little bit. And, uh, you know, for me, it's, it's so important that if I am emotional, if I lose control, if I do something that's out of the ordinary uh, in any given day, I want to go back to that. I want to just piece it out and say to myself, why? What, why did you get emotional on this point? What, what triggered you to be upset at this point? And it's very simple. If I go and say, okay, well, I missed the fill and I, 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 I traded out of position. So I got into an even worse location of a trade, uh, ultimately lost money and then missed the whole trade altogether. And then the day I can say to myself, well, what was the trigger? Well, you missed the fill. So what do I do next time that I miss the fill? I just don't trade. So I manage my emotions. I say to myself, well, learn from that emotion you had the previous day so that the next time it happens, you don't execute, you know, to your own detriment ultimately. So those are the kind of things, uh, you know, I would do in a debrief. Obviously, then I do all the normal things. I go through my charts. I make them look tidy. I make them look pretty. I, you know, put a few lines here and there and, you know, make sure that when I leave, when I switch off, when that off button goes, one, I accept what's happened on the day. Two, I accept I've learned from the day. And three, when that computer goes back on, I'm ready for the day. And what time do you normally switch off for the day? That depends uh, when the job's done. Uh, you know, sometimes if uh, if the E-mini S&Ps are, are trading well and it's the US session, then then I'm there till nine o'clock at night. Um, if uh, Australia's got a, a central bank announcement where the market's one way and I feel there's opportunity, then I'm there at two, three in the morning. Um, it all depends. The job is not a time-based job. We don't have a normal job. Uh, you know, we, we've we've got an opportunity-based job. So, you know, in December, January, it's no secret. I take holiday. You know, if I could take two months holiday, awesome. Um, I, I'm there when the opportunity exists. When it's not there, I'm chilling. I'm having fun. 
So if you get in at 6.20 a.m. in the morning, there are some days where you're still there at 2 a.m. in the morning. Okay, so yeah, to correct you, not 6.20 a.m., uh, 6.32 a.m. to be precise. Um, so yeah, <laughs> I don't, I don't want to have guys come back to me and say, hey, you don't get your 6.20. 6.32 a.m., I'm in the office. Uh, that gives me enough time to open my eyes and wake up. So what we would typically do if there is something big, uh, let's take the U.S. election because that was quite recent. So obviously we needed to trade through the night for the U.S. election. Now, I accept the opportunity is the U.S. election. So what I'm not going to do is I'm not going to, you know, come in at 6.32 in the morning, trade the whole European session and then trade through the night into the next day because then the day I'm a human. I've only got, you know, probably 25-minute concentration span and I can probably only last eight hours before I'm exhausted. So on the election night, for instance, uh, I came in, I think, around half past nine, ten in the evening. Uh, I slept during the day. I watched some movies. I had a really chilled day. Didn't even bother looking at the markets. Got to the office at 10 p.m. and traded through till 6 a.m., 7 a.m. the next morning. So, you know, it, it it's all about adjusting. You know, and I think this is something, you know, my mentor, uh, Alex Haywood, this is something I learned from him was that, you know, there, there is such a thing as uh, energy capital. You know, we always talk about financial capital uh, being super important. But what about energy capital? You know, you've you've only got so much energy. You've only got so much tolerance for taking risk or for energy for taking risk. So you need to manage that. You know, if if, uh, you know, if, for instance, you know, we all know that the first week of the month is very volatile. Why? Well, we have the U.S. date. We have all the manufacturing PMIs. We have the non-farm payrolls. We have the ADP reports. There's lots going on in the first uh, week of the month, a lot of, for, you know, beginning of month allocation. So we accept that, you know what, we, that week we've got to allocate our energy. We've got to make sure that, you know, we're eating well, we're sleeping well, we're, we're not going out in that week. You know, we're utilizing our eight, nine, ten hours of energy that we've got uh, on a day today. Now, I want to shift topics a little bit because we're getting on and there's a few questions I really want to squeeze in. So we spoke right back at the beginning about your goal for the year or one of your goals is to get bigger as a trader, trade more size and that sort of thing. So let's continue on that path of talking about goals. You know, this is, we're pretty close to the beginning of the year, 2017. How do you suggest traders think about setting goals for the year ahead? Like what's a good example of how to think about a goal. Okay. Um, I think first and foremost is, uh, again, uh, you know, a lot of people fail in their goals simply because they don't, they don't know how to put the process action or the action process of a goal. I think that's where most people go wrong is they, they have the right idea, they're ambitious and they want to achieve something and that's awesome, but they just need someone to hold their hand. Uh, even I need my hand being held. Uh, you know, this, this goal of getting bigger is, is not, it's not a new goal. This is a goal I've probably wanted to start from 2015, 2016, 2017. I've just, I've never had someone to hold my hand. So instead of me having physically someone hold my hand, I've got a piece of paper that says, yeah, is your hand held? On, on, on day one, this is what you do and you take it off. On day two, this is what you do. So for me, if you have a goal, that's awesome, but you need a process orientated approach. If you don't have that process orientated approach, two, three weeks down the line, you're probably going to forget the goal. You're probably not going anywhere nearer to that goal. Uh, and you're ultimately probably going to give up on that goal. So whereas if you have a tick sheet, you can measure yourself. You can say, well, cool, you did this today, you're getting closer to your goal. You did this tomorrow, you're getting closer to your goal. So for me, having that process-orientated approach, um, it means I can ultimately work on and get toward that goal. Equally, uh, I find having that, you know, that, that piece of paper is a motivator. Um, you know, it's no secret uh, that, uh, you know, when you achieve something, you want to give yourself a pat on the back. So my pat on the back is that tick. 
You know, my when when times are tough, when I'm not having a good run, what do I do? Well, I look at that piece of paper and I say, it doesn't matter. You know, yeah, okay, you've probably had five down days in a row. Who cares? It doesn't matter. What matters is you've achieved your goal. You've followed every single step and you are getting better. Um, you know, that that's the common mistake people make. Improvement or, or, or progress isn't measured by performance. It isn't measured by, uh, you know, cool, I made money today. Making money, you can make money doing the wrong thing and the right thing. Um, so improvement and progress is measured by what you managed to achieve. Did you step out of your comfort zone today? If you did, you've achieved something. Did you, you know, hold your control through the panic or the volatility? Excellent. You've achieved something. So that's how I sort of approach a goal. Um, and that's how I would suggest anyone approach a goal. Make it process orientated. Okay. So if we were to just to sort of summarize that a little bit, pretty much what you're saying is that you suggest traders have a check sheet which has kind of the steps of their process on a physical piece of paper that they periodically check off? Periodically, every single day. Uh, if you want to you know, measure it at the middle of the day, then that's cool too. Um, it's just, it's that constant reminder. You know, that, that's the thing about a goal is that a goal isn't, you know, Rome wasn't built in a day. A goal won't be achieved in a day. You know, these goals take six months, a year, a couple of years. So, you know, just to keep reinforcing and reminding yourself, you know, have that little check sheet, uh, as you mentioned. Excellent, man. Are there any final tips for how you think traders can set themselves up to have a great year in 2017? If you've got to repeat something which you've already mentioned, feel free to do so. Just drum it in. Okay. I think uh, a topic, two things. Uh, you know, if I was to say, first and foremost is traders need to just open their minds up. Now, I see a lot of, uh, an error that I see amongst a lot of new traders is, they come in with all the ambition, all the eagerness. They set themselves up nicely, but they, it's almost like they've got a lot of, uh, sort of false truths that they, they believe in. And these kinds of things are things such as I can buy a book and learn to trade, or I can attend this seminar, or I can listen to this guy, this trader Brannigan, and, you know, he's going to make me successful. Uh, that's, it, it couldn't be further from the truth. Trading is, it's a skill. Uh, you, 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 obviously I can, I can point you in the right direction. I can tell you a good book to read. I can, you know, show you a good pattern to recognize. But ultimately you have to first and foremost learn yourself and then first and foremost learn how you going to sort of, you know, filter yourself into the market. The market's nothing more than a bunch of participants. There's a lot of participants that do certain things and, you know, you might not necessarily be able to filter yourself there because you won't be able to do it as well as them. So filter yourself where you do something well. Make sure you understand that it's not a, the market is not a one size fits all. It's not a, you know, I'm going to suddenly start trading Fibonacci's. If it were that easy, uh, 95% of people wouldn't fail. Uh, 95% of people would succeed and everyone in the world would be a trader. So that's almost the first, uh, you know, truth I, or, or falsehood I want to make a truth. Okay. The second one is just, just open your minds to the fact that trading, uh, is a simple binary. I love that word binary. The market can only go in two directions. It can go up and it can go down. It can't go left. It can't go right. It can only go up and down. So if you really truly believe that, if you wrote that up on a wall that the market goes up and it goes down, you, I think you, you, you will all of a sudden start to realize how, how silly the game is. Trading is a silly, silly game. It, it's nothing more than up and down. So if it's so silly and so simplistic, why are we making it complex? Now, complexity comes really from our thinking, our, you know, our processes, the way we, we view it, the way we interpret it. So for me, the markets, what makes it difficult and why people struggle is they have this belief that it's complex. It's anything but. 
And that's not my opinion. That's a fact. Look at the markets. They only go up and they only go down. So if you truly believe that fact, break everything down into its most simplistic form. It is as silly. This game is as silly as buying one and selling two. You profit, you win, you succeed. That's kind of the two things I would push towards. Anyone you know, starting to trade this, anyone sort of struggling for a bit of traction, just keep it simple uh, and, and you, know, you will definitely uh, see the benefits of that. Brannigan, I appreciate it, my man. Thanks heaps for coming on the podcast. If someone wants to find out more about you, where should they go? Uh, well, Axia Futures uh, will be launching uh, hopefully in February. It's been a, an awesome long project. Uh, it's been something that's very close to, to sort of, you know, a lot of our, our hearts because we've spent a lot of time. And, um, we actually do genuinely enjoy seeing traders succeed. So axiafutures.com, uh, or yeah, if anyone has a burning question, uh, you know, I've, I've, I'm always very open on my periscopes. You're more than welcome to watch one of the periscopes every Sunday, 6 p.m. Uh, or equally, if you want to email me, uh, it's very simple. It's brannigan at axiafutures.com. You know, send me an email. I can't promise I'll reply straight away, but, you know, if it's a burning question, I'm always happy to just kind of, uh, you know, sort of guide someone. You know, if I can point someone in the right direction, awesome. Um, so, yeah, those are the kind of avenues if they have any kind of burning questions. Uh, that, that's the avenues they can take. That's really great. And can you also share your Twitter handle, please? I can. It's, uh, <laughs> I think it's uh, trader underscore brand, uh, but that might change. So I think it's trader underscore brand, at trader underscore brand. Um, yeah, I think that's it. <laughs> Excellent. And everyone listening, you know the drill. All these links will be in the show notes at chatwithtraders.com as well. Again, Brannigan, I've really enjoyed this conversation. Thank you so much for doing it. Thank you. It's been awesome. And, and uh, yeah, uh, just good luck. Good luck. 2017 is going to be an amazing year. Uh, you know, old uh, DJ in the US, Donald Trump, uh, you know, he's, he's, um, he's doing things, man. So just be ready this year and uh, it's going to be a fantastic year for everyone and, and good luck trading for 2017. You've reached the end of this episode of Chat with Traders, but rest assured there are more episodes loaded with real market insight and zero hype on the way soon. So to stay updated with each great new release, subscribe to the podcast and iTunes and we'd love it if you'd leave a rating and review. We'll catch you next time on Chat with Traders.